Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires. Solutions for your journey. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Um, John is not here. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, hmm, John's on spring break. But trust me, John is not on spring break. Um, he will be back with us next week when we'll have as our special guest, Sandy Monroe. So uh, be sure to tune in for that show. But you're very lucky because this show is going to be a fantastic one because I've got three of the smartest guys in the industry to join us today to talk about what's going on in the world of automotive. So let's bring them in. So we have Greg Migliori, who is the editor of Autoblog in the brand new Autoblog Electric. So, so Greg, Autoblog Electric, tell us about it. Thank you. Thanks. It's, it's great to be back on the show. So Autoblog Electric is where, you know, all of your latest and greatest electric car news will be. We have a, a charging station finder on there. So if you're looking to power up your electric car, we could help you out with that. And we have some, you know, electric car buying resources on there too. So uh, plus we have a snazzy new logo, which I think is, looks pretty sharp. <laughs> it's very important. So, so speaking of things of a graphic nature, and we have uh, Chris Pockert, who is the director of video for Edmonds. So, so Chris, I mean, when, when people think about Edmonds, maybe they think about doing a research of cars and things like that. So, so what is the video component that you bring to the party here? So that's a great question. And we're really looking at uh, video as sort of the welcome mat to get in a new uh, audience. Um, people have come to Edmonds for literal decades uh, to configure cars and, and get leads to dealers and to read the latest reviews. Um, we're looking at video as an opportunity not only to go through comparison tests and to really show off our testing expertise, um, but also to have a bit more fun uh, and loosen up a little bit. Great, great. And last but not least, we have Matt DiLorenzo, who is a longtime automotive journalist and most recently the author of, and I hope you can see this, it is How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car and the subtitle is a tight wads, gu tight wads guide to EV ownership. Now it's, it's very rude to you know qu <laughs> quibble quibble with one's guest, but I've got to say, having read the book, that this this subtitle is completely wrong. It should not be a tight wads guide. It should be a sensible guide. <laughs> so, um, Matt, welcome to the show. Tell, tell us about what you're trying to accomplish with this book. Well, I don't want to overspend on cars. I never did in, in my life. I, I came to that realization after driving all sorts of different stuff for 45 years. And I and I I went out after I left KBB and I said, well, I got to buy a car and I wanted an electric. And I thought about buying an e-golf and then I ended up buying a brand new Nissan Leaf, um, the cheapest one. <laughs> and I, going through that experience and uh, uh, just seeing how different it is to own an electric vehicle, I wanted to share that information with other people because 
it isn't the same as owning a, a gas car. There are, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of pluses and there are minuses. And I think if you're going to make the transition, you should be well prepared um, to know what those differences are and be prepared to accommodate things like um, getting a level two charger in your home, um, uh, you know, what the differences are in insurance rates, what the differences are in maintenance. So that's basically kind of the, the, the synthesis um, or, of the book itself. So, and I self-published it and it's been out since last summer and showing how much the world changes quickly in the EV space. I've already had to revise it to reflect the new tax laws and uh, new models coming to the market under $40,000. So we're going to see more and more of those vehicles. That's that's my big beef right now is that all the EVs we seem to be talking about are with any decent range are $50,000 and up. And and what I want to do is let people know that there, there are some uh, uh, less expensive vehicles there, but they're, they're going to come at the expense of some range and convenience. So, so um, we're going to get to all of that. And I, I had planned to open the show with something else, but big news happened today. And I, and I think we, we ought to start with this, that GM announced that it is quote, working to permanently bring down structural costs and it's going to do so by offering its salary em, salaried employees in the United States buyouts. Now, these, these employees get to decide by March 24th of whether they're going to take the package or not. And if they take it, they leave by June 30th. Now, General Motors is in the pro- process of trying to cut $2 billion of costs. I mean, overall, it's not just these people that, that they're talking about it. And, and um, last month, it announced that it was cutting 500 salaried jobs around the world. So, you know, you have this this new offer to the 58,000 salaried employees that are in the United States now. Last month, there were 500. Um, so, you know, that, that 500 is only about 1%. Ford last month announced it's cutting, cutting 38 hundred people in product development and administration in Europe over the next three years as it is working to cut its costs. Now I put it to you guys, are these companies making these drastic cuts because of the billions of dollars they're spending on making electric vehicles? I would say that's certainly a factor. Um, the R&D process has been, you know, fiendishly expensive and, and, you know, famously so for a very long time already. Um, and there's a lot of corporate learnings that happen. And obviously the manufacturing process tends to be a lot more simplified. And so you need fewer people. Um, but I think they're also just looking at the larger economic headwinds um, that basically are, we're, we're facing here and, and leaning out. You know, they've, they've got to answer to Wall Street. Yeah, I think we're at a point right now where there's just so much economic uncertainty with, you know, the supply chain with inflation, uh, car companies and subways are thinking like they're, they're trying to get ahead of what could be perhaps, you know, a bigger downturn. I think there's sort of, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were going through like a different recession, it seemed like the companies were being more reactive. And now it seems like the MO is to try and get out in front of it. You know, you might say, well, you know, they're doing quite well in this area or in that area. Do they really need to do that? But you know, it seems to be like they're they're being offensive, if you will, as far as going after cuts and belt tightening before maybe they absolutely have to. I think it's a it's a it's a huge gamble on their part. 
And I think they're betting on EVs. And I think that if they let all these people go and they let a lot of institutional memory go with it, that they're setting themselves up for a huge failure down the road. That if if the market does not make this uh, tectonic shift to electric vehicles, um, they're essentially going to be out of business. And they're ceding the market to the Koreans, uh, to Toyota, to a lot of healthy companies uh, by you know, uh, by trying to make this wholesale change. So I don't, you know, I, I see in the larger picture that it's a, it's a, it's a huge gamble that just may not pay off. It, so, it'll, it'll help mollify wall street in the short term, but I think uh, a long-term vision in, in terms of being an industry leader, they're throwing in the towel. So, so, so let me, let me dig into that a little bit, Matt. Um, so, you're suggesting that they're taking the people that know how to build and develop internal combustion engine powered type vehicles and saying, thanks for the memories. And uh, we're moving ahead into the future and that they're somehow going to suddenly start making some serious money on EVs. I I think that's their bet. I mean, that's their I think that's their hope. I, I don't know where all, you know, and I, I, I can't speak to their internal uh, figures or anything where they come up with how many people they really need to get, get rid of. But I would prefer to see more targeted cuts rather than this across the board, because they're going to lose a lot of really good people. And to be fair, we don't know exactly how targeted those cuts are or aren't you know they're they're offering packages to specific people right um it, it sounded like mary barris sending a letter out to everybody oh is that right i, I apologize yeah. i missed that part um that is a risk then for sure um i think the other thing that's happening is we're seeing a lot of automakers walk away from different segments in the market as it becomes more and more expensive to to transition to evs um and you know, when that, that happens, you have the fewer needs for development, you have fewer needs for product line, um, you know, for production and, and all of that. Look at the exodus from passenger cars. Um, and, you know, granted, EVs um, have been ramping up on their new model lines there, and obviously SUVs continue to ramp up. But trucks have largely stayed, you know, maybe they're adding one model, that sort of thing. But they've, they've lost a lot of different model lines in the process. Um, and so you've probably created some redundancies through that process. But you know, Matt, it was interesting that you you know mentioning that they're they're seeding part of their market to Toyota and Hyundai and Kia and Honda and so on. Um, you know, I- I explain that a little bit more. Well, I, I think if you look at the product lines, uh, Toyota has they're all in on everything: trucks, cars, passenger cars, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, hydrogen. I don't think they're singularly focused, and I think that they're they're willing to go where the market's going to take them. And and even though the Koreans are kind of saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna electrify, and they still have a broad enough product uh, family that they too can go where the market takes them. But if you're just going to say, well, we're not going to build gas cars anymore, what does that leave you with? I think we've seen the domestics perhaps start to gamble a little bit more in the areas of electrification and, uh, you know, to kind of build on what Matt said there. But just in general, for like decades, General Motors and Ford were among the most 
conservative companies in the U.S. industry, in any sector. And then, you know, if you look at how Ford has decided to literally, under Jim Farley's leadership, break out the company into like ICE vehicles and then EVs, and then even try to start to extrapolate some like financial and earnings data from that, you know, that's that's a very significant change for them after how they had done business the previous 120 or so years. And then if you look at General Motors, uh, I think it was about five, six years ago, they just pulled out of Europe. They said, we can't make money here. We've never been able to make money. We're leaving. And they gave up like uh, hundreds of thousands of units. That's something that under like an old General Motors business model, they never would have done because they valued the title of world's largest automaker, which they had since 1931. So I, I think it's interesting how risky, you know, it's a theme we've had here in this kind of roundtable. you know, Ford and General Motors in particular have gotten with some of their business strategies. And then, you know, to bring like the third member of the Detroit Three into it, into this, you know, Chrysler is always, I mean, different ownerships, different, you know, mergers. I mean, they've always been almost like a case study in, you know, different approaches to business management. So in some ways, it's kind of interesting that at the moment, they're kind of the most reactionary of the Detroit Three. I, I wouldn't have said that, you know, if you think back to the days of like Lee Iacocca and Bob Lutz and how that company used to be run. Chris, you were, you were in town then when uh, there was the days of, uh, of Lutz and Iacocca and so on. I mean, do, do, you, do you see the, the current regime at what is now, um, you know, FCA North America Stellantis being more gun shy, as it were? Um, I don't know if they're gun shy or if they just have fewer chips to play. Um, they just don't have the same amount of resources. Uh, and they have so many brands now, um, you know, with the acquisition of Opal and all the other things. Like, it's it's just a crazy number of, of mouths to feed. Um, I've always said that Chrysler or whatever you want to call it now, Stellantis, always did its best work when it its back was up against the rope. I, you know, I call them the rope-a-dope automaker because <laughs> that's when they got, like, really – clever and stretching the K car platform 80 different ways and coming up with the minivan or whatever that, that sort of, uh, you know, genre defining product the the LX cars were mentioned earlier. Um, when they get desperate, they get hungry and they get smart. Um, but you know, for a long time now they've been trading on, you know, big engines, superchargers, uh, you know, testosterone, this, da, 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 da. And that's a hard transition to make. Uh, to the world of electrification. They're, they're, you know, moving in some really interesting ways with what they've shown us in terms of concepts and seem to be production cars and trying to imbue some of the, uh, the character and the noise and frankly, the imperfections of uh, internal combustion cars, because that's what really equates to personality in a lot of ways. Um, so they've got to be on a different journey than some of the other automakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just read a piece by John McElroy, was it? <laughs> Where he that talked guy. about who? Where where he talked about the profit margins, and Chrysler has the highest profit margin of the Detroit Three, and they're pretty close to Tesla in terms of just their you know the that they were running like I don't know, uh, it was in like the sixteen percent range, something like that. So you know, I think going slow right now in a market that isn't as far down the road in this transition probably isn't a bad strategy is that if you can, if you can make money in this environment, especially when we face these uncertain times, you're going to be better positioned to come out the other end. 
I think, than just saying I'm I'm betting on 2035 right now. You know, you know, I thought there was interesting. Um, so, so switching back to Ford, and, and you know, Greg mentioned that you know Ford split itself in half, and so there's Model E, which is doing all the EV high tech sort of things, and then there's Ford Blue, which is basically the rest of the company powered by internal combustion. And so Ford makes this announcement about how it's going to be adding capacity because the vehicles it has are so much in demand. The only executives that they quote is Kumal Galhotra, who runs Ford Blue, which was curious. And they, you know, the big headline that seemed to come out of it was the fact that they're going to be taking Mach-E production, Mustang Mach-E production up to 210,000 by the end of the year. But also within that announcement was the fact that they're adding 88,000 unit capacity to um, the Bronco Sport and Maverick. Now, you know, the, the Maverick has a, has a, has a, uh, a hybrid version, but basically they're both internal combustion engine cars. So I started thinking about that and I looked at the numbers to see how well these various vehicles did last year. Okay. So the Bronco Sport, they sold 99,547. The Maverick, they sold 74,370. The Mach-E, they sold 39,458. So, I mean, the the delta between these these gasoline products, and you know, and, and one would argue that things like the the Maverick and the and the Bronco Sport are in demand. I mean, they're not things that people have to be you know bludgeoned into buying. Are, are just doing incredibly well, and it's just like, why are these guys only talking about? the importance of their Mach-E or, or even the Lightning. I mean, Lightning last year had sales of 15,617. I mean, uh, are, are, are they... Remember, they've been capacity constrained on certain things. There have been supplier issues. Um, the markups on, I don't know if you've looked on Mavericks and still on, you know, the full-size Bronco are, are obscene. Uh, and the wait periods have seen they've, you know, they've already basically closed the reservation processes for effectively the next year for both of those models. Mm-hmm. Um, so the demand is there. The margins are there on those products, I would think, especially on the Bronco. I'm not entirely sure about Maverick. Um, but it's not a very, when, when you're trying to pr- position yourself as a, a tech company that's moving toward electrification. It's not particularly sexy to spend a lot of time talking about the thing that's actually paying your bills, which is a lot of those vehicles. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean the, the Bronco, uh, 137,370 and again, a gasoline powered vehicle. So, and they could have <laughs> sold probably tens of thousands more if they could only make them. Mm-hmm. So, so does, does this get back to, um, what you're talking about, Matt, about, taking your eye off of the thing that uh, is, is paying the bills? Yeah, I think right now uh, there's so much emphasis on Wall Street and on government, and everybody forgets the other leg of the stool is the consumer. And if they're not there yet, the stool's going to topple. And they're not there yet. It's, it's going to be a long, slow process. There's still a lot of affordability issues. And I think that uh, until, you know, the next solid state battery or breakthrough, which always seems to be two or three years away comes through. There's, there's no beating a gas car for affordability, convenience, ease of use. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm working on something where I'm saying, you know, if people had to fa- have the same considerations in buying a gas car that they have to buy an electric car, they wouldn't be buying gas cars. You, you know, the, the thing is you, you would be buying your car based on how big the gas tank was. You know, if your entry level car only went 150 miles on a tank of gas, would you be that interested in that car? So it's 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 different. You know, it's a it's it's a different beast. And I I just don't think the public is there yet. Hmm. Well, so what what I was going to start off with was I I read an interesting thing that uh, Bloomberg NAF came out with that. It said that peak internal combustion engine was 2017. Hmm. And and this is on a global basis that 86 million ICE vehicles were sold in 2017 and all plugins were, were about a million. Okay. And for, for 2022 ICE is down 20% to 69 million units and, and plugins of all types are up. So they represent uh, 10.4% of the market. Um, so, okay. If, if you're somebody who is sitting in, in, Dearborn or Stuttgart or Tokyo, and you read that, um, how do you with good conscience not push more chips onto the EV side of the the business? I'm curious to know what portion of that uh, is China. You know, I mean, if if you look at how hard they've pivoted, um, it's, and how large of a market that is, that strikes me as a significant portion of that change just that one country right i kind of wondered too about just the last few years if you look at 2017 18 19 you know i wonder if just the the changes that have impacted society you know uh like you know the pandemic for example just how much that may have just thrown off normal car buying trends and put it Put us into a space where maybe it'll take a couple of years to kind of like reset, kind of level set, and then maybe we could get a better read, if you will, on where EVs stand and how automakers can try to adjust consumer, you know, demand to that. I agree with Chris. I think China is is an important uh, element because of the number of vehicles that are sold there, and that could distort the picture somewhat. The other uh, interesting thing I see is the pushback in Europe right now. Um, you know, Germany's pushing back big time on the vote uh, to ban uh, ICE vehicles in Europe. So until a lot of that stuff shakes off, the, the you know, shakes out, the, the, the um, internal combustion death is, is greatly exaggerated at this point. And and that's the other thing too. I mean, even moving back to GM, the fact that they've that they're going to do a next gen small block pushrod motor speaks to where the future really is. And and so I don't know. It's it's not a it's not a done deal that we're going all electric by twenty thirty or twenty thirty five, like a lot of people are are predicting oh, at this point. I, I think okay. it's a long way from a done deal. Um, but I, yeah. I would say that the everybody has some interest in the narrative that that's where we're going, whether that's politicians, um, you know, outside of the base that really just, you know, from my cold dead hands, you know, I'm going to have my diesel. Um, The automakers have an interest in that to prove that they are forward thinking and they're not the uh, ecological (laughs) boogeyman and and all of that. Um, While in the background, the thing that's 
powering these companies is the F-150 and the you know, Ram 1500, the, their economic engines. And, and that will continue to be the case for the foreseeable future. Um, and that's okay. It's just, it's, it's tougher to talk about. Um, and again, those mandates about banning ICEs, and most of the time they're done by politicians that won't even be politicians by the time those come home to roost. And they'll, you know, they're page one, top, you know, above the fold stories in newspapers and, and websites. And then by the time it rolls around that they're getting pushed to the side, then they're, you know, section C or the equivalent online. So, so Matt, you you know you you're talking about the the new pushrod engine that General Motors is, is is in the process of developing, and you're saying that that is the future. I mean, that's that's heresy. That's 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 crazy. <laughs> that's crazy talk. I mean, the Ultium battery is what it, this is all about. Yeah. So, so how how dare you say that? Explain. I know. Well, I think uh, uh, to Chris Chris's point, I, that's where the money's coming from right now, and that's what you need to stay in business. I mean, that's the bottom line is that you you got to have sales and you got got to get there. I'm not naysaying electric vehicles. I own one. I love them. I think I think if they hit 20, 25 percent of the market, um, they're going to be that's a huge success for them. And I think they have a role to play in the vehicle fleet. It's not it's not the silver bullet panacea answer that everybody is painting it to be. And I think we're going to see a blend of vehicles. Plug-in hybrids are very smart vehicles. Uh, regular hybrids get fantastic mileage. You know, the fact that a Prius can go 60 miles on a gallon. That was unheard of. E- even five or 10 years ago that you could get a gas car that could perform that way. So uh, electrification is going to be a very important part of the future. It's just it's not going to be battery electric only. You know, it's, it's going to be fuel cells. There's going to be uh, gas. There's going to be hydrogen burning cars. I'm excited. I think there's going to be a lot of really uh, different things to look at and evaluate and find a vehicle that fits your particular need. So, so, so Greg, does, does Matt need to be burned at the stake with electricity by the staff <laughs> of Autolog Electric? We would just probably zap them with, you know, our blue <laughs> Zappos, you know, that, mm-hmm. that could work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting you bring up like the different use cases. And I think that's, you know, I, I've kind of lived that life in the last like probably six weeks. Like the three different press cars I've been in is a plug-in hybrid BMW 330e is what they call it. It really rolls off the tongue. I was charging that thing nonstop and filling it up nonstop because that was like a <laughs> nine gallon gas tank. And then I had our EV6, which is awesome. I really enjoy the Kia EV6. It was the North American SUV of the year. Um, great vehicle. But I actually was a little reticent to take it on a road trip because there's not all that many, like, chargers in the middle of the state of Michigan. Let's put it that way. Or the middle of most states. So it's great to fill it up in suburban Detroit or power it up. But once you get out to, like, past Lansing, for example, you're in trouble. You know, and now I'm in the Toyota Sienna uh, hybrid minivan, which is not a plug-in. It's just a straight-up hybrid. It's got a pretty big gas tank. I love getting in this thing and seeing a fuel range or a total range of 500 miles. Not even thinking about, you know, going to a gas tank or gas station or a charger for the first time since, you know, probably November when I was driving like a Yukon that had a huge tank. So I, I do think it's a fair point to say, hey, like, Pure EVs are not going to work for every single person. You know, there's depending on where you live, depending on 
you know, the type of vehicle you need, it's, it's going to be a challenge for you. You know, I, I'm very bullish on EVs. I, like, I'm not a tech person, if you will. Like I still take most of my notes in a, like a dot journal, if you will. But when it comes to charging an EV, I really geek out. I think it's fun. I'm sitting there on my phone, staring at the charge point app, like really looking at the kilowatt hours that are ripping through the, you know, the car. So, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's not for everybody, but there's definitely, you know, a time and a place where EVs do work better for others. And that's just the reality, you know? I, I think we're actually, we've, we've reached a sort of a reckoning point. There's enough critical mass of people that know people that own EVs uh, around the country. And they're, they're learning both the great things about them and the problems about them. And most of them, are centered really on the charging experience. You know, Greg, you nailed it. That's that's really the the thing. And even here in Los Angeles, I have to tell you, you know, this is theoretically best case scenario here and, you know, in Silicon Valley. The state of the public charging network is terrible. Um, the reliability, the uptime is just dismal. The, the rates are all over the place. Um, the availability is all over the place. The, uh, you know, the apps that you have to use, there's so many hoops to jump through. Um, it's just difficult if you don't have the ability to charge at home. And I think people are, are starting to realize that. Um, you know, the, the exception I always point out is Tesla. The, the supercharger network is the best charger network going and it's not close. Um, but obviously they recently opened up their charge network to some small degree presumably to be, you know, uh, to a larger degree in the future in order to get uh, access to some federal funds. Um, whether that dilutes the availability and appeal of their network, their uptime, that's going to be kind of interesting to watch. Um, if that dilutes brand appeal for them because everybody's got a mix with the hoi polloi and, you know, their lightnings and what have you, um, it will be interesting to see. Um but I also think we're having a more nuanced conversation. We, we, we got really uh, excited by the crazy performance figures that Tesla's and GMC Hummer EVs were putting out. And then everybody's like, well, wait a minute. How much is this damage is this doing to our roads? Because these things weigh 9,000 pounds. And how, you know, how are we getting these rare earth you know, metals and how many Priuses batteries could these power? And I think we're starting to see more people asking more of those questions which is healthy. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, too, that like sort of the healthy conversation, like the informed debate is what's going to actually move the electric vehicle conversation forward. You know, right now it seems like, like everything, people really come at it from, you know, whatever team they're on or what they've owned in the past. And like, you know, there's a lot of hot takes going out there. And to me, having covered the industry and like, I enjoy cars, I enjoy all different kinds of cars to me, there's a level of frustration there because it's like, let's look at the car on its merits and look at the situation and try to figure out, you know, how it can work. You know, you can be an EV supporter and also talk about, you know, the downsides of them, you know, and I think that's how we're going to really reach some solutions. You know, like I, like I said, I really enjoyed my experience in the EV six, but I also was like, man, it's 28 degrees and I'm sitting here getting like 40 kilowatt hours, you know, trying to juice it up under what's allegedly a, a DC fast charger. Like it's a good story. It's a good part of the experience. Um, so, I mean, it's, I think it's important to try to like examine how these, you know, different electrified things, especially the infrastructure can play in different, different places. 
All right. So, so we're going to have to take a quick break um, for our friends from uh, Bridgetown. Um, we'll be back. We'll have more on this and we'll be um, talking about prices. We'll be talking about companies and we'll be talking a whole lot more about uh, electric vehicles. So we'll be back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on wet roads? It's their hydro track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is their Bridgestone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. Um, you know, it was interesting. Um, Greg, you're talking about the charging experience, and, and Chris, you're talking about how LA doesn't have a great charging experience as well. And um, our colleague, Joanne Muller, um, she's with Axios now, and um, she recently took a road trip that she drove, and I believe it was an EV6, um, to Florida and back. And she just, um, earlier this week on um, her newsletter, uh, Axios What's Next, talked about how she and her husband are ready to drive basically from Kentucky up I-75 to Detroit. And um, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable to me what those two had to go through to get home. And it took like hours more because the weather changed and the temperature went down and, and electric vehicles don't like cold. And I mean, and so, so basically, you know, the heater is, is out and, you know, it's just, it's just so many things. So, I mean, is, is this responsibility of OEMs or is this the responsibility of, you know, the free market to be able to build out this, this infrastructure? I mean, you know, the, the mention of Tesla, I mean, the only reason that they're opening their supercharger is not because, you know, they, they have some, some great warm feeling toward the public. It's just like, basically, yeah, they're gonna get money from the government if they do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, let, let's be clear about this. Um, we don't have the national will uh, to create a charging structure that's, you know, mandated by the government, that's, that's funded by the government, um, by our tax dollars. We're, we're, we're not set up for that. Our, our country doesn't want to invest in, in that kind of thing right now. Um, and countries that, that do, that are, you know, that like China, are, are, are going to pull demand ahead for the entire world um, because they have such a need uh, for, for so many EVs. And because automakers here have to design their product portfolio for North America in, you know, with China also in mind, because they, you know, they sell a ton of cars over there. 
that's going to be difficult. So whether or not we choose to really get into EVs here, or if we want to hold on to our gas cars, there's there's a pull factor from other economies that are making the transition a lot more quickly um, that's going to make this a bumpy road for us. I think if you were a car company or a startup, just other company in general, looking for the next great area of demand, building a great charging network would be an awesome idea. If you want to be like the next Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, you know, this is the area that has problems it needs solving. So if you could find a company or create a company that could do that, you would really be entering like a white space to use a bad cliche buzzword there that would solve problems for companies, for consumers, and frankly, the government, you know, because really, if you look at it, it seems like the federal government is really the only single entity that, you know, has the money to do something like this. Is there currently the, like the collective will of the people to do it? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I I think Chris is, you know, Chris is in the ballpark on that one. I think, you know, past precedent, you know, we have done things like this. You know, if you look at the public works programs under like FDR, or if you look at the uh, interstate highway programs under Eisenhower, like this has happened here in the past. So, you know, if there were the will of, you know, the voters, the people to do it, it's, it's certainly possible. But absent that, I mean, if you want to be the next Elon Musk, come up with the next great charging company and you would really be solving a big problem. Okay, so so I've I've immediately turned to my new Bible, which is <laughs> how to buy an affordable electric car, and and I turned to this chapter, and I, I would do this on um, Autoblog Electric, except for I'm using the internet now to to see you guys, so I can't I can't look there. But so I I, I find here how to find public charging, and I find Blink, ChargePoint, Electrify America, EV Connect, EV Gateway, EV Go, Flow. FPL Evolution, Francis Energy, Green Lots, Livingston Energy Group, OP Connect, PowerFlex, SEMA Connect, Volta, and of course, Tesla. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of companies, but, you know, if you look at the JD Power surveys that are about, you know, people's satisfaction with, with charging, it's like horrible. And I mean, and if, you know, we all complain about gas stations having dirty bathrooms, well, but, you know, nobody complains about filling up their tanks, right? Well, the process is the same. You know, you, you walk up, you either, you know, put your credit card in or you tap it, uh, or maybe, crazy idea, use cash. Um, but it's, it's, it's a simple process. It's something we're well-versed in, and it doesn't take that long. With EVs and with all the different charging networks, we have a million different apps. Um, we don't always have, you know, the easy, uh, you know, payment process that goes along with that. And... A lot of the time, frankly, they don't work um, with these third-party charging networks. And that's that's really frustrating to people, and understandably so. Um, and then you take into account, you know, the fact that you're going to be there for longer. So what amenities are near you? Or do you feel safe where you are? Um, these are things we just generally don't think about with gas very often. So that's why, like, charging at home. If you can charge at home, you know, EVs are a wonderful solution for I would say the vast majority of Americans, whether they realize it or not, um, because then you just take that out of the equation altogether. I, I had a friend of mine uh, who bought, he's on his second Nissan Leaf and he bought it because he wanted to quit smoking. Uh, and, and the reason why that was, he was always going to the gas station. That was when he naturally gravitated toward buying smokes, you know, and like just 
taking that part of his life out of the equation and just plugging it at home. He's, you know, recovered time. He's recovered lung capacity or whatever. Like it, it, it's his life is better. Um, but if you don't have that ability and you live in an apartment complex and they're not putting in chargers or whatever, or, or you know, the, the prime grocery store that you go to all the time doesn't have chargers that work that are available frequently. It's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Matt, well, you, it's, it, 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 oh, go ahead. No, I was, was going to say you, you, you've looked into this whole at home charging thing and um, yeah, it, 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 it strikes me as being either expensive or complicated or both. Uh, it, it really isn't. Uh, you know, again, it just depends on the type of setup and whether or not you're a tightwad. Now, in my case, in California, um, everybody's garage is essentially, or not everybody's, but most people's garages are also their laundry room. So you do have a lot of 240 outlets for, 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 for dryers and things like that. I have a gas dryer, but I also have a 240 outlet. So um, it's it was only a three-prong um, 30-amp. And my leaf came with a four-prong 50-amp. So I had to go on Amazon and spend $35 for an adapter. And since it only pulls 26 amps, I'm good. I plug into the wall, and I, I have level two charging. I didn't have to have an electrician come out and spend 500 bucks. I didn't have to buy a $2,000 level two charger. So it's not as big a barrier as, as people think in terms of, of doing it. I will say some manufacturers are cheaping out and not giving you um, the portable charge cord like I got with my Leaf that was good for both 120 and and 240. Um, those are the kinds of issues. And and to Chris's point, at home charging is a solution. The larger thing about the infrastructure, I mean, the only reason Tesla is still in business today is the fact that they have the supercharger network. And I think the manufacturers themselves have to be more proactive um, in involving themselves in that part of the equation. They just can't leave it up to other people like they did to the oil companies uh, back when the industry was was growing um, there. You know, uh, if they want to sell more electric vehicles, they got to make sure that people have a way to recharge them. Um, the, the Electrify Americas and the EV goes charge point. They're trying as hard as they can, but they're, uh, you know, uh, Mercedes now is talking about doing their own network. So, um, you know, I think Mercedes, that's the isn't Mercedes, talk, isn't, isn't Mercedes talking about doing it though with an existing charging company? Yeah, they may, they're own branded, but I, but again, you need more outlets and you need mm-hmm. more, you know, they need to be working. I mean, I think that's the most important. Uh, important part of that JD power study isn't so much that I can't find a charger. It's I can't find a charger that works. And, you know, until they can get that sort of reliability and, and um, so that you're not thinking about that. I mean, I, everybody talks about range anxiety. I think charge anxiety is a much bigger issue uh, than range anxiety is, is, is where am I going to plug this thing in? It, you know, Electrify America, though, is basically Volkswagen, right? I mean, that's where, where the money came yeah. from and, and, and they're behind it. So if, you know, one of the global car companies has a problem solving this. Um, well, I, you know, I think I think the difference is, though, that Tesla understood that they needed to sustain their charging network to sustain their business. I think Electrify America with VW, they they put, what, $2 billion in to kind of 
get the Dieselgate scandal behind them. And I think they kind of they kind of went, okay, got that one done. And they're letting Electrify America carry the ball from here on out. I don't see any ongoing commitment on their part or on the part of any other manufacturers to really support these charging companies other than, oh, yeah, we have an app with ChargePoint or we'll give you a card to, to go use an EV Go thing. Um, they got to step up big time in order to make it work. And, and, and if they don't, their EV sales could collapse because people are going to say, I can't, you know, this thing isn't usable. I'm not going to be able to find a, a public charging station, especially also the people who live like a lot of people still live in apartments and condos and they don't have access to, you know, uh, private charging or their, their own charging. So, uh, that's an issue that needs to be confronted. A gas car, you can sell to anybody. Electric car, not not so much. Mm-hmm. So so we, we, we've, we've talked around this a little bit, and we, we've got to talk about Tesla because everybody likes when we talk about Tesla. So we've got to talk about Tesla. So the company announced price reductions for the Model S and the Model X from 4 to 9% reductions. Um, in January, it cut prices for the models three and Y from six to 20%. Now for the model three and the model Y, it was probably a play to make more of its vehicles qualify for the inflation reduction act money, because otherwise it'd be too expensive. They wouldn't qualify, but you know, the, the S and X will not qualify even with these reductions because the X starts at 99,990 and the S at 89,990. What is going on at Tesla? I mean, they're, they're, they're losing a lot of money here. It seems. I would say they're, they're, you know, sacrificing money on the table. They've got, you know, pretty tremendous margins because of the way they manufacture their vehicles. Um, Obviously they've, you know, benefited handsomely from being able to sell credits and, and all of that that's kept them sustained for so long. Um, and you know, I, I'm a Tesla skeptic in a lot of areas. Um, but one of the things that they do very well, um, on one level is, is build a vehicle with, you know, fewer castings and all of that, rationalize that production process, slim down the the number of variants that you have that, that lowers costs. I don't think they actually get the finer points very well in terms of build quality, um, and some of the materials that they use, but they, they, they make money on their cars. Um, and that wasn't always the case. And so they have more flexibility that way. They can put pressure on people. But it's also, you know, those are really old vehicles at this point. Um, and even with facelifts and, you know, their constant OTA updates, they're old vehicles and they're they're under new pressure. You know, there's new competition now. Um, and so they've, they've got to, you know, restart the conversation with people um, and, and make those cuts. Maybe they're feeling some pressure from that and, and they're watching their sales flag, their inventory, you know, potential climb a little bit, but we're also, you know, cognizant of the fact that they're not a brand that changes pricing once a year. It next month, it could be, <laughs> you know, plus $20,000. Like we have no idea. It just kind of depends on, you know, which way, you know, Elon got out of bed in the morning. I, I, it's, it's hard to tell. I, so, so I, was, also- I was wondering about that. I mean, how, how is it? I mean, so, you know, in this industry, prices are basically set and then, you know, there, there would be incentives that would, that would shift, that would, that would modify 
the amount of money that someone would pay for a car. But but basically, you know, um, it was it was still somewhat predictable. I mean, Chris, to your point of like he just suddenly decides I'm going to give him a four percent cut or I'm going to give him eight percent. How does how does the normal industry react to that? The normal industry has reacted by quietly starting to adopt that model of changing prices a lot. Um, we're seeing a lot more small price increases here and there throughout the course of the year that nobody even realizes. And then we're also seeing companies come in with like super low price vehicles. Remember the, the Maverick was under $20,000. It was like nineteen nine ninety five. Starting price on the Maverick now is like 24 and change, something in that range. Look at what ha- how many price increases the Lightning has gotten. Um, and so they're dangling that carrot, that in incredibly low price. And make no mistake, those are unbelievably low prices. And now they're more realistic, I think, you know, to the point where they can make some margins. But what we're seeing is, uh, you know, they're falling in line, whether they want to talk about it or not. They're being more willing to change their prices up and down. So, so Greg, do you think things like a $30,000 Equinox is a... Um one of the types of vehicles that, that uh, Chris just mentioned, something that is there for but a brief fleeting moment and then poof. You know, I think that's sort of almost like the historical precedent throughout the industry. You know, you look at like different, you remember the first $30,000 or sub $30,000 Mercedes. Uh, what was that? The CLA, whatever it was, CLA. And how long was it under $30,000? You know, so I think we've seen sort of the, legacy automakers do that for a while but when tesla does it you know hey that's that's big that's national news so you know i i think that's a huge challenge that needs to there definitely needs to be more transparency in the pricing um you know you look at the bolt when it first came out it was thirty nine thousand dollars. they they lost the ability to offer the $7,500 tax credit, the price dropped to 31000 Then they dropped the price again. Uh, and now they're offering a $26,000 version with the, and they're eligible again for the $7,500 tax credit. I was surprised they didn't boost the price up again to kind of, you know, recoup some of that, that, that money they gave away. So um, I, it's just right now, I, I really feel for people who want to get into the electric vehicle market at the entry level, it's absolutely a mess right now. And, the, and that Inflation Reduction Act is to blame because it went from, you know, before the tax credits were just there to try to get electrics into, into people's hands. Now it's there as a means to reward certain companies punish other companies and then also some sort of, well, you know, if you make more than $150,000 a year, you don't get the credit. And so uh, it's the government policy isn't doing anything to promote uh, EV sales. It's being done on a different level to either reward manufacturers or punish other manufacturers for, for where they build their cars where they get their minerals and and where they get their battery packs. So, so let, let me ask you guys to chime in on on some of the startup EV companies in in terms of what you think about what they're what they've accomplished or what they will accomplish, uh, where they're going or whether they'll exist. So, um, 
you know, full disclosure, we were all NACTOY jurors and we all had to uh, to vote on the truck of the year last year. And one of the trucks of the year nominees last year was the uh, Lordstown Endurance. Um, Matt, what do you think about the future of Lordstown in general and maybe the endurance as a subset of that? Or yeah, maybe the first part of your question will answer the second part. <laughs> Uh, well, their business model to begin with was the fact that it was going to be a fleet vehicle primarily and the pricing and all this other stuff. So, I, I you know, uh, it's an interesting vehicle. I, I actually drove pretty well. I was fairly impressed with the build quality and all that. But um, from my own personal perspective, and I, and I have in my book a little thing about, you know, if you want an affordable EV, my word about pickup trucks is don't bother because they're going to be way too expensive and they just don't do what pickups are supposed to do, which is haul a lot of stuff and tow things. They're just not suited for it. And everybody's discovered that uh, with the lightning. So I'm, I, I, I wouldn't, I'm not putting a lot of chips on, on Lordstown at this point. Greg. So I thought the truck itself was pretty credible. I like driving it. They have a pretty interesting, um, like the way the hub motors are in the wheels. You, you don't see that very much in the car business, at least not recently. Um, you know, I think they actually have a, they have a defined business model. Let me put it that way. Fleets, different design, interesting sort of, you know, propulsion system and like very basic, but you know, very acceptable interior. So I thought the product is, is there, it's workable. It's a work in progress. That's on the right track. As far as their their business plan, as far as the company, it's been a bit of a roller coaster last couple of years. Um, that's a tough one to predict. Let me put it that way. You know, 50-50 maybe. It's just you look at some of these automakers, whether it's the original Fisker, you know, to like the Lucids, to, you know, the new Fisker. It's tough, especially and I believe they got their money via like a SPAC, which it seems like that can be it seems like those are maybe going out of, uh, you know, out of being cool. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uncertain for them. Let's put it that way, even though the product is decent. All right, Chris. So, so go beyond the magic eight ball of future unclear. Um, I'm more pessimistic. Um, and it almost has very little to do with how good that product is. Um, just simply because, you know, I think that for a lot of these companies, um, they came out, you know, with their product announcements and they had potentially good ideas. You had Bollinger that was going to do, you know, a bare bones, you know, um, EV and off-roader. And, and that was a market segment that was untapped. And, you know, you could make an argument that this, the same is true for Lordstown. Um, the problem is that they didn't get to market before a lot of more mainstream products like the Lightning and they, you know, um, they won't be out there in volume before a lot of players are going to kind of eat their lunch that the companies that can get um, the, the, the batteries and the supplies, the, the parts and stuff at, at, at a much, you know, more favorable uh, rate because they're, they're ordering those parts uh, in much higher quantities uh, and they can put the squeeze on the little guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm less optimistic, especially for companies that aren't on the gate already. Obviously, um, the stock prices of companies like Rivian and Lisa have already had several rounds of great reckonings and they're probably not done, but at least they're, you know, they have products that are out on the market um, that people can ooh and ah over there and they have some unique features to them. 
um, and, and some real merit. Uh, but if you're just getting going uh, and you don't have the backing of a major automaker or uh, some other type of business um, that already has tons of cash, I would be very suspicious that they, they would be around in five years. Well, so, so you mentioned, you mentioned both Rivian and Lucid. Um, you know, what's interesting about both of those companies is that both have giant manufacturing facilities. Um, and, you know, we're not seeing giant manufacturing numbers the same way we're seeing giant manufacturing numbers that Tesla, for example, has been able to, to show. Um, you know, there, there seems to be some question about, um, you know, the, the viability, you know, going forward of, of both of those companies, uh, who, who has some uh, ideas about either of them? Well, I, I think um, they have big profit margins and they sell to a luxury market, but they're going to be limited in volume. You know, Mercedes doesn't sell very many S classes to begin with, and they're not going to sell a lot of, uh, of the, uh, the EQS or those types of cars yet. You know, the volume market is the model three and the model uh the model y for for tesla and none of those uh, you know rivian certainly isn't going to be there and i don't think uh lucid has any intention of of offering a you know a sub sixty thousand dollar car so i i wouldn't i wouldn't count to see any mass market coming from startups i think the mass market stuff are going to come from the established uh the established players I, I do think they will have those products filter in, but they're just having product problems building the cars that they already have in market, right? Um, Rivian still has a huge wait list, um, and they just can't get their production processes together to get the volume out that they need to. Uh, and they're following the model that Tesla did where you launch with an expensive product. Um, you, know, you do your R&D, uh, you know, amortizing of costs and all of that up there. And then you roll out cheaper products and you'll see the same thing happen provided those two, you know, survive and, and thrive. They, they will fill out their model ranges. What's interesting is somebody like, um, you know, like Fisker where they're already talking about models that are like $30,000 within the next handful of years. I don't know that they'll actually get there. Um, but it, that's a, that's a different uh, approach to the market. I, I tend to favor, um, what Rivian and Lucid are doing. I think there's just been more of a reckoning around the value of companies like this. And then, you know, obviously there's been the supply constraints all over the place. Uh, and frankly, um, in my experience, as lovely as it is to drive a Lucid Air or a Rivian r the build quality is not there yet. And obviously Tesla was forgiven for that uh, right up until present day, actually. I couldn't even say it for years because they still have the issues. Um and those cars are just, frankly, not well-built. We have long-term ones that, that we own, that we bought and paid for with the company's money. They are not as well-built as a normal luxury car uh, from an established automaker. They have all kinds of little niggles here and there. They are wonderful to drive. They're beautiful. They have you know, really clever solutions, especially the Rivian. Um, but they're not making money on them yet. They, they can't build them at scale yet. And they have to solve that before they get to anything else. You know, this, this makes me wonder, I mean, to go, to go back to the very beginning when we were talking about General Motors getting rid of the, uh, the salary employees and, and Matt, you know, you were mentioning about they're losing a lot of institutional knowledge. So it seems to me that, you know, 
one of the things we lose sight of is in an electric vehicle is at the end of the day, still a vehicle. It's still a car, a truck, or an SUV. And so you take the powertrain out, you know, you still have the interior, you still have a suspension system. You, you know, you, you have lots of things that um, there are lots of people who work at places like General Motors have been doing all their lives. I mean, might this not be an opportunity for the likes of Lucid and Rivian and, and Lordstown for that matter, to get these smart people who know how to do the, you know, the, the blocking and tackling of the auto industry. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's spot on, but the thing is that it costs money. That's why they're getting rid of those people is that they cost money. And a lot of these startups don't have that kind of money to support what it needs to really build a car. And I, I think that point was underscored when we were driving um, the car of the year entries this year is that when you got into an electric vehicle that came from an established car maker, you could tell a difference. You know, uh, one of my favorite vehicles was the G80 electric. That was a luxury car. It was well screwed together. It was a beautiful, beautiful car, really well executed. And that comes from the fact that they build millions of cars. So um, there's no replacing that expertise but also that expertise does not come uh, without a great expense. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act because I think, you know, one of the reasons I talked about, you know, the way that Tesla builds cars now with the huge castings and the things, the decisions that they've made that have actually driven the entire industry, like just the removal of switchgear in cars. Um, maybe some of that was going to naturally happen because computing and, you know, got, better and touchscreens got cheaper and all of that, but they've really pushed the industry um, toward minimization of switchgear uh, and the cost savings associated with that. Um, and they've been able to reap much thicker margins as a result of all that. It ta it's taken some time, um, but on a per unit basis, Tesla is profitable uh, in a way, you know, in segments that I think, you know, established automakers couldn't do. So, the question is, is, you know, you're 100% correct, uh, Matt, that the institutional knowledge is hugely important. And I think, frankly, Tesla and others could have benefited from saying like, well, you can't build it that way because of this, this and this. And they just weren't willing to listen to that. Um, but it also probably there's there's the flip side of it where it curbs innovation um, because there are people saying that, well, you can't build cars because of this, this and this. And then somebody comes in and proves them wrong. All right. So, so for the, for the final thing, and I want, I want a quick answer from each of you. Okay. So we do this show five years from now. Will we be talking about internal combustion engines at all, or will they just be a quaint curiosity? Matt, you're first. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> they won't be, a, they won't be a quaint curiosity. We'll still be plenty still of be gas talking, engines around. Still yeah. be talking about them. Oh yeah. Greg. Okay. hundred percent. Yes. That's, that's not that far in the future. I think we'll still be talking about them for sure. Chris, just, just say they're wrong. No, and no, say, so no. Say they're wrong and they'll just all be electric vehicles. <laughs> They'll be the majority of the market internal combustion. Uh, so we'll definitely be talking about it. It won't really? even be close. Hmm. Five yeah. years. All right. That's not even a model cycle. Come on. 10 years. Still be talking about it. Do you guys yeah, agree? Ten years, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So the future is evidently not now. All right. 
So, all right, <laughs> Matthew Lorenzo. Okay, so where can people get this 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 wonderful book? Uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Please okay. buy it. <laughs> and and Greg, where where can people find Autoblog Electric? That's autoblog.com slash electric dash vehicles. And and Chris Edmonds.com right there. Edmonds, Edmonds.com. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh Greg, uh it'll always be autoblog green to me. <laughs> it served us well and but hey, the future is we're saying the future's now. We're saying the future uh-huh. is electric now. We're not gonna wait 10, 12 years. All right, for those who don't know, Chris once upon a time worked at Autoblog, so we've we've had a have had that disclosure, you know, it, it's sort of amazing. You know, I was looking at, at, you know, all the places you guys have worked and it, it, it is like the three of you guys, if you added up all the cars you've driven, it would be like, you, you'd need hundreds of normal people to get even a fraction of your combined expertise. It's, it's really quite amazing. So thank you for your, your service too. We appreciate it. Thank you. So. It's a fun business. Okay. So, okay, everyone. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you here next week. Auto line after hours is brought to you by Bridgestone tires solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the Autoline channel. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.